It has been called the miracle of Dunkirk. The miracle of Dunkirk. I'm talking about something that happened 81 years ago this last May. The Nazi forces of Germany had pushed into Belgium, overwhelming the defenses. They had pushed into France, overwhelming the defenses of the Allied forces, the British and the French that were there. And about 400,000 Allied troops in 1940 were pushed back to near a coastal town of France called Dunkirk. Not far from the Strait of Dover, over the English Channel, where the connection to England is only about 20 miles or so. And the backs of these 400,000 Allied troops were against the sea. They had been surrounded by a, a Nazi force that had come and cut through France. They were on the other side surrounded by a Nazi force that had come through Belgium and they were trapped by a superior fighting force. And that is where the miracle of Dunkirk began. For whatever reason, Hitler ordered a hold, a halt to his armies. And there were somewhat miraculous atmospheric events, mist that prevented bombings from being as effective from the German Air Force on Dunkirk. Another miracle, hundreds of boats came across the English Channel from England, including private operators of vessels. Small ships began picking up Allied soldiers and shuttling them over the English Channel to England, and when all was said and done, over a nine-day period, over 330,000 Allied soldiers were rescued. Over 330,000 had been shuttled over to England. It was the miracle of Dun Dunkirk. Winston Churchill, who had just become prime minister in his famous, we shall fight them on the beaches, we shall fight them, in that speech, called it a miracle of deliverance. But the, the dean, thank you, Ben, the dean of St. Paul's Cathedral in England was the first one who recognized that it was a miracle of God's provision. He had connected it to the fact that not long ago they had had a national day of prayer and they saw this as a direct answer to God's prayer, in, to prayer uh, to God in allowing them to be delivered. Now here's the interesting part to me. Why did the Nazis allow, why did Hitler even allow this, to, to the possibility for this to happen in the first place? As I was reading up on this, I saw something interesting of note. The Germans looked at the sea, the Atlantic Ocean there in the English Channel, as an impassable object. They said, we have them right where we want them. Their backs are against the sea. And hundreds of Britons in small boats realized that the sea was, in fact, their deliverance. And they were delivered. Now, of course, you may be seeing where we're going here. Because we come here in Hebrews 11, as we have been doing for months now, studying this wonderful passage of Scripture together on what faith is, what biblical faith is, what saving faith is. And we have come to verse number 29. 
And if you look at me, with me at it in verse 29, Scripture tells us, by faith, they, that is the children of Israel, the children of Israel passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying or attempting to do, were drowned. This was not a miracle at Dunkirk. This was one of the most remarkable miracles in all of our Bible that an impassable object, a body of water that was deep enough to drown the Egyptians. This was not a little wading pool that they walked through. This was, this was a, a, a significant body of water opened up, allowing more than a million people to walk through and have deliverance. The Bible tells us that this miracle that we would attribute to God's power, to God's miraculous work, to God's deliverance, was also attributable to faith. By faith, they walked through. Now, how many of you would typically associate the children of Israel with great faith? I don't know that I see a whole lot of hands. Guess why? Because most of the time they weren't. Most of the time, the children of Israel were the ones complaining. And in fact, we're going to see even here, they were not people of great faith. And yet my Bible says that by faith, they walked through the Red Sea as on dry land. The title of the message this morning is By Faith from Death to Deliverance. By Faith from Death to Deliverance. And the question I want to answer this morning is twofold. First, how was their deliverance by faith? And secondly, how will your daily deliverances in life from God be by faith? To answer these questions, we need to go back. And we need to go back into what this passage is commenting on. Remember in Hebrews 11, we have recognized that Hebrews 11 is God's inspired commentary on the Old Testament. And we have been looking at, the old, at Hebrews 11 as a way of commenting on it, understanding more about what God has been telling us in our Old Testament. So let's go back together. If you have your Bible in whatever form here this morning, let's look back to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14, and I want to see this story together, keep a, a placeholder in, in Hebrews 11, but we're going to spend much of our time in Exodus chapter 14 this morning. And we're going to start, first of all, by looking at the circumstances that led to this great faith, that the circumstances of this faith that we read of in Hebrews 11. Let's start here with the first circumstance, and we're going to look at it in three different perspectives. We're going to look at it from God's perspective. We're going to look at it from Pharaoh's perspective. And we're going to look at it from the children of Israel's perspective. Three different viewpoints, vantage points on this same story. Notice verse 14, or excuse me, chapter 14 and verse 1. God has just led the people of Israel after 10 plagues that just cripple the land of Egypt. God brings his people out of Egypt. And notice what he tells them immediately after they come out of Egypt. And the Lord spake unto Moses, verse 1, saying, 
speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pihahiroth, between Migdol and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon. Before it shall ye encamp by the sea. Okay, so the children of Israel come out of the land, and they are going to encamp right down by this large body of water. Scientists and Bible commentators and scholars have tried to identify which exactly body of water or place this was where they encamped. There's no perfect explanation or one that we can say from the Bible is conclusive, certain, on where this occurred. But nonetheless, they are before this large body of water that the Bible refers to as the Red Sea here. And they are encamped. You say, well, that sounds nice. We all like taking sea trips. Look at verse number three. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. What's God's perspective on what's happening at the Red Sea? God is setting a trap who is God setting a trap for? Pharaoh, the one who, who has hardened his heart, rebelled against God, defied God, and indeed been persecuting God's people. And God says, I am setting a trap from him. Why? I will be honored in him. I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. God says the Egyptians will know that I am God and I am above them. That's God's perspective. In other words, God had this avenue of deliverance in his mind the entire time. He was not tricked. He was not fooled. He was not saying, oh, the Egyptians have done this. I better come up with a good counter move. This was part of God's plan the entire time. That's God's perspective. Okay, what's Pharaoh's perspective? Keep on going. Look at verse 5. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? What a blunder. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army. And overtook them encamping by the sea beside Piahiroth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes. And they beheld. Now, let's stop there for just a minute. What was Pharaoh's perspective? God's perspective was that he was setting a trap by which his glory would be seen over the Egyptians. What did Pharaoh think? Pharaoh saw a trap too, but who was in it? Not him. The Israelites were in the trap. We've got them where we want them, just like the Nazis saw coming through Belgium and underneath through France. They were squeezing those allied forces. They're trapped against the sea. Pharaoh said, we've got them exactly where we want them. They're in a trap. This is an opportunity. Now, what did the children of Israel see? God, you've got this one. No, what, what would have been your perspective? When you're trapped against the sea and the people coming against you are perhaps the most powerful fighting force in the world at that time. It would be the equivalent of the United States Army 
coming against you. Well, notice verse 10. The children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord and they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Now, do you get the sarcasm there? What is Egypt known for? What is ancient Egypt known for? Graves? Pyramids? Deserts? This was, this was high sarcasm. You think there are no graves? Of course they knew there were graves in the land of Egypt. What are they saying? Moses, why are you taking us out to bury us here? Why are you taking us out to our certain death? Notice. Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Notice, they are doubting everything about God, everything about his deliverance, everything about who he had revealed himself to them. Now you say, what about Moses? He was of strong faith, wasn't he? Well, notice what he says to them here in verse 13. Moses said unto the people, Fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. You say, okay, Moses, this man of rock-solid faith, he believed the entire time. I'm not so sure about that, because look at what happens next. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Why are you crying to me? Now Moses was being a good leader. He was putting forward a very good, confident front to his people. But what was he doing in private to God? God? What's going on here? And God says to him, Stop praying. Stop crying out to me and do something. I just want to say this. We should pray about everything. But there's a time where God says, in a sense, stop praying and start acting. There's a time when God says to you, you know what the right thing to do is because I'm going to tell you or I have already told you and just go do it. Why are you crying to me? Do what I've told you to do. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray. We should pray. We must pray. We must always be in a spirit of prayer. But there's a point at which God says, do what I said. Start acting. And this is where we move from the circumstances of faith, what appeared to be certain death for the Israelites, to the command of faith. Because this is where I want to drill in. Look with me here at verse 15. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they, now read those next two words out loud, that they what? Go forward. That's a command. Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Go forward where? They were already encamping by the sea. Go forward where? To the sea. But God, that's the place where we're trapped. Have you ever seen an animal that gets trapped into a corner? You see how desperate that animal gets? Do you know none of us like to be in a corner? None of us like to be pushed with our back to the wall? In any circumstance in life. Why? Because that's where we don't feel safe. 
We feel more safe when we have a bunch of options. If this doesn't work, then I do that. And if this doesn't work, then I do that. I've always got a scheme to get around. But notice God wasn't leaving any options open for the Israelites. By saying, go forward, go right up to the water, what was he saying? There are no other options. You're in a corner. Now, how would you have responded when you're already feeling trapped by the greatest military force in the world and there's an impassable object, the great sea, and you, God is telling you, go right down, go forward, go right to the edge. Your back is completely against the wall. What would I have done? Listen to then what he told Moses. Command them that they go forward, but lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Can you imagine the faith even it took for Moses? I mean, Moses had already seen some pretty remarkable miracles with that rod, but this one was of a different kind. Going up to a body of water and holding his rod out and saying, all right, God, what's going to happen next? God had told him. But their faith was not just in that they went forward. It wasn't just that Moses put his rod out over the water. It's that they kept going. Again, I want you to put yourselves in this, in, this, in this perspective. Sometimes we have this idea that Moses stuck out his rod and it just went. And it just like exploded and there was this open pathway. I don't think that's what the Bible is suggesting happened. Will you look with me? Notice what scripture says God has told them what is happening here. And verse 21, And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. The wind blew, and it kept on blowing, and it blew all night. I don't think this was something, at least as if I'm, what I'm reading here, I'm picturing and right. I don't see it just being like an explosion and suddenly there's a big causeway. What it appears to be is that God sent a wind and it was that night and maybe they woke up the next morning and looked and suddenly there's a big canal for them to walk through and there's water on either side. Now, how would you have responded? Would you have gone out there? You're walking through the middle of the water and all you see is a wall of water way down there and a wall of water and there's probably still a really strong east wind going. You're saying, God, is this wind going to last? God, that's, that wall of water is not supposed to be like that and it's not supposed to be like that and you're telling me to go in and keep on walking all the way over. How quickly would you have been moving through that water? I'd have been motoring. In other words, God's command for them to go forward was not just in other, in, to go down to the water's edge. It was to keep on going through the water step by step until they got to the other side. Now, what was the result of all of this? When God said, go down, go forward, go forward, what he was saying to them is, you're cutting off every avenue of escape except me. You're depending solely on what I'm going to do. What I'm suggesting to you tonight is this, or this morning is that this is really what faith is. Do you remember what we've been understanding about faith from Hebrews chapter 11? That faith is the substance of what we hope for. It's the evidence, it's the proof of what we can't see. 
Faith is when I see all the circumstances that I can see around me looking daunting, and yet I fix my eyes on what I cannot see and believe that over what I can see right in front of me. Faith is that internal reality that what God says is true, even though I can't see it, and I'm putting a lot on the line, my back is against the wall, and yet I choose to act on what I can't see, but know over what I can see. Faith is seeing what other people don't see. And here, Where I see the faith of Moses and the faith of the children of Israel is when God gave them a clear command, go forward. And they walked themselves into a corner that only God could deliver them from. That's some faith. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry ground. What were the consequences? That's our third point. The circumstances, the command, and finally the consequences of this faith. Well, for what was it for the Israelites? Is that it was that they were fully delivered, every single one of them. Every single one of them went through that sea as on dry ground. Not only that, what were the consequences for the Egyptians? They were fully defeated. Every one of them. The Israelites were fully delivered. The Egyptians fully defeated. Look with me here in verse 23. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea. Now you think, why on earth would they do that? They have seen 10 plagues where God has been judging them. They see God opening a canal through the Red Sea to go. And they say, I've got a good idea. Let's chase them. But do you know what it is, friends? Hardened and angry hearts make really, really dumb decisions. You and I need to so watch for bitterness and anger that starts building up in our souls because we do the dumbest things when we are angry and we are bitter. Do not let that root of bitterness, do not let even the first step of this kind of hard-heartedness affect your soul or it could have dramatic consequences in your life. These Egyptians were so blind, blinded, so hardened, probably under the command of Pharaoh himself, that they went right in. And it came to pass, verse 24, that in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels that they drove them heavily so that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. They finally got it. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand over the sea that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared and the Egyptians fled against it and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. What was the final consequence for God? 
he was fully vindicated. Look at verse 31. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Do you know one deliverance by faith gives rise to greater faith for future ones? They saw what God did, and they believed. Now here's my question for us. Why was this by faith? Because there was a direct command of God, go forward. And against all odds, they walked themselves into a corner that only God could deliver them from. But what about you and me? You and I don't stand at Red Seas in a physical sense. I don't know that any of us have seen the miraculous work of God delivering us in this exact same sense. So what does this passage mean for us? As I say over and over again, we can't truly apply the Bible until we understand it in context. And remember the context here. Who is the, the writer of Hebrews talking to? He's talking to Hebrew Christians who had professed Jesus Christ and were being persecuted. And some of them were beginning to second guess their decision. Do I really go forward with Christ? Maybe it will be easier if I just go back to Judaism. Maybe it will be easier if I just go back to the synagogue and embrace it then. And the whole point of Hebrews 11 is hang on. Keep on going. Keep on your walk of faith. Why? Because everyone in the Old Testament was delivered by faith too. For by it, he says, the elders obtained a good report. They were justified. They were delivered by faith. So don't give up. Hold on to your faith. In other words, these people had a kind of Red Sea in front of them, they were being robbed. They were being maligned. They were being belittled and mistreated for the cause of Christ. And the author of Hebrews is telling them others have faced their own trials, their own needs for deliverance. And it was by faith that they got delivered. You keep holding on. You walk by faith. In other words, this is a way that you and I are called to live our life, not just in miraculous times, so to speak, but in really mundane times, in the way we walk by faith, in the way we live by faith, we should take an example from them. One of these, very clearly for me, is in salvation itself. I want you to turn over for one moment from Exodus 14 to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, will you? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is Paul speaking He's writing to the church at Corinth and he's talking to them about these examples of the Old Testament. He wants them to make sure they understand that this was written for them. It was an example to them. It's a warning to them. Notice what he says starting in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. What's he talking about? Which sea? The Red Sea. Just what we understood here. And notice what he says in verse 2. And we're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What is he talking about? What he's saying is what we studied in Exodus chapter 14 is a picture of baptism. 
It's the picture of what you and I experience in Christian baptism. They were baptized unto Moses in the sea. We are baptized to Christ in the water. He's saying it's the same picture. Now, in what way are you baptized into Christ in the same way that they were baptized to Moses in the sea? Don't you see that the waters of baptism are a picture of death? Just like, Jesus, just like those Israelites were at a place where God said, go forward to your death. Go forward right up against the water, the impassable object, the corner that will lead to your death. So we as Christians go to the waters of baptism as waters of death, depicting death. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 6, a passage we ask our baptismal candidates to memorize. Listen to these words in Romans 6. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. As we go under the water, it's a picture of us being buried with Jesus in death. And when we come out of the water, he says that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We die. That's what salvation is. We die to sin. We die to the law as our means of righteousness before God. We die to any self-effort to make ourselves clean before God and rely totally on what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Nothing in my hands I bring, the songwriter says. Only to your cross I cling. That's salvation. When you got saved, you died. You died with Christ. Friends, there are people today all throughout this city and throughout this world that will not be saved because they will not die. They will not die. They will not submit. But what about us? Salvation is about death. Going up against the Red Sea of our death and seeing God open a path for us in the death of Jesus Christ and in his resurrection. He is the one who has created the path. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 2. I am crucified with Christ. What is that? Death. Nevertheless, I live. What is that? Deliverance. And when a person comes to salvation is when, in a sense, they die. They are willing to die so that the life of Christ and the righteousness of Christ may be manifest in them. Now, friends, what about you? Have you ever died? Have you ever come to the point of accepting Jesus Christ as your only hope of righteousness and of eternal life in this life and the next? I like what Emerson Egerich said. He said that salvation, saving faith, is like saying, if Jesus isn't the Son of God, I will suffer in hell with Jesus of Nazareth. What it's saying is, I am in Jesus' corner and there's no other corner that I'm in. All my eggs are in his basket. If he does not save me, I will not be saved. 
He is my only hope. Have you accepted Jesus like that? Have you repented and trusted in him solely for your eternal life? Please, I beg of you, don't leave here this morning or our service if you're watching virtually without placing your faith solely in Jesus Christ as the deliverance from death. But you know, there's something else that I want to make sure that we understand here. Because just like in this most immediate picture, there's a clear picture of salvation for us in being pushed against the waters of death and coming out on the other side delivered into newness of life. There is a way that you and I are called to live every day. It is a calling of God. It is a principle of God. And it is simply this. Sometimes God calls us to go forward to what appears to be death, not deliverance. Sometimes God's command to you to move forward in your life has you against the boundary of the Red Sea. And you say, God, that's not deliverance, it's death. And God says, go forward. Go forward and watch me deliver. And faith says, God, I don't care that if, if it looks like obeying your command looks like a kind of death. If you said it, you will bring about your deliverance and you obey. Now, this is so often a part of our daily life when it comes to walk by faith. I think as a married man of my own marriage, what is my daily decision-making like when it comes to that? If I am going to love my wife like Christ loved the church, it means death. It means dying to myself daily as a husband. And it is God's command to go forward in that kind of death, saying, I will deliver you, and I will provide the life in your marriage that I've called you to. We could apply this to every step of life. What does it mean to walk by faith? It means a sense of what Jesus says. He says, do you want to come after me? Do you want to follow me as my disciple? Let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross daily and follow me. What is a cross? It is an object of death. We walk by faith when we walk daily with our cross, dying to ourselves with our backs, if you will, against the Red Sea and saying, God, you're going to have to deliver me yet again today. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And I trust that you'll see that as you follow the commands of Jesus Christ to deny yourself, to live for others, to sacrifice for others, to give of yourselves in ways that the world would look at and say, that's too sacrificial, that's too, that's too death-defying. We won't take that step that we as Christians will be like those Israelites on the brink of the Red Sea and God says, go forward, keep on going forward. Keep on walking by faith, even if it looks like death, not deliverance. And trust in me to bring about the life that I want you to lead. My question for you this morning, friend, is where is God telling you to go forward this morning? 
What command of his for your life do you know he has said, go forward, move forward? There may be a Red Sea in front of you. And inwardly, you have been saying, God, that command looks like death for me. It doesn't look like deliverance. It looks like something bad, not something good. And yet you look in your Bible and you say, God told me. God told me to obey him in that way. God told me to follow him. God called me to go forward. My encouragement to you this morning is the same encouragement for those from those at the Red Sea. When God says go forward, go forward. Even if it looks like death, not deliverance. Even if it looks like something that I can't fully understand, that I can't fully process right now. And when our backs are in the corner, at the calling of God, then we wait on him to deliver us in the way that will bring him glory and will strengthen our faith. Do you know what that is? By faith, moving from death to deliverance. Whether it's at Dunkirk in 1940 or whether it's the children of Israel thousands of years in the past, Sometimes God calls us to obedience that looks like it's heading toward death and not deliverance. By faith, may you and I go forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is able to deliver us, as we sang before our service, before our preaching this morning. You are able. Nothing is impossible for you. And faith is that which looks at your command and trusts it over even what I can see with my own eyes. Oh, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to very concrete and practical ways in which you have called us to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. I pray, Father, that the reality of who you are and what you are to us in your son, Jesus, would just grip us this morning. Would our faith expand that where you have called us to go forward, we would obey and trust you to bring about the consequences that you desire. Let's pause for a moment with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. Have you trusted Jesus for the salvation of your soul? Have you put all your eggs in the Jesus basket? Have you died so that in Jesus you might live? That's what saving faith is. And then in what ways is God calling you this morning to go forward, to deny yourself, to take up your cross, to go forward just trusting that he has a deliverance ahead for you.